Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 142 for Monday, May 24th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you on the interwebs may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, you on the interwebs may also know Joel better as a food-driven human, and we have just made everybody incredibly <laughs> hungry uh, if they were listening to The Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast that you can get at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. We've been chatting a little bit about our vaccination prospects and then rounding things out with a discussion of Joel's brand new smoker grill combo. So if you're interested in that, once again, patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to get an extended version of the podcast in your podcatcher of choice every week. There is no zombie meat in my life. It will all be barbecued chicken and barbecued cow, much as I experience in Minecraft. But uh, before I get into what I've been doing, what have you been doing in Minecraft this week? I have had an interesting week. I've spent days, literally days, uh, about four days worth of my time uh, rendering a 360 degree tour video for my museum build in the Minecraft survival guide. And most of that rendering time is taken up by replay mods, which is what I have to use to export 360 video. And this time around, I wanted to do it right. I realized that the mistake I had made with my previous 360 degree tour, which was episode 300 of the series, was that I hadn't accounted for the fact that 360 video needs a much higher resolution than your standard 1080p video. Because if you think about it, you are stitching together four 1080p videos horizontally uh, and right. and imagining that needs, you know, an, an extra six thousand pixels horizontally at least uh so yeah I, I ended up rendering a lot of video and i couldn't use hardware encoding to do that because for whatever reason 360 video wouldn't be compatible with that so i was rendering it using software encoding which took two hours for about a minute and a half's worth of footage each time wow. and the video ended up being about 20 minutes and unfortunately uh youtube was having some processing issues over the last week and for whatever reason, maybe just because it was an unusual video being a 360 video, YouTube hasn't published it yet. <laughs> uh, I have already released the next episode in the series, but this uh, episode 360 tour just didn't publish on YouTube. It is watchable on YouTube, though. Uh, so if anybody wants to go and see that, you can actually get a link to it either from the Survival Guide playlist, where it appears as a deleted video, but if you click on it, you can still view the video. Uh, or <laughs> alternatively, in episode 361, I posted a link in the description and in the comments uh, if anybody wants to see that. So I, I was spending a bit of time before that working on the structure of the museum, which I think I'd mentioned before about building it up in creative first and then taking a ton of screenshots and transferring it all to survival. Um and so, yeah, that was all for this tour. Um, and I think it came together really well. Hopefully at some point it will appear as a normal YouTube video and then everyone will be weirdly surprised that three episodes down the line they can watch a video that came out two weeks ago or whatever. But um, yeah, that, that, was, that was the main project for this week. With that done, though, uh, I was able to start working on some other things I have in mind for the museum, specifically... Uh, because I built the whole thing over the top of a stronghold so I could have the end portal there, I decided to turn that into an exhibit of its own, and I'm excavating the area around the stronghold, so it's just sort of isolating the rooms of the stronghold itself. We've got a portal room, a library, a couple of corridors, uh, some of the corridors that have the chests in, and a few of those little jail cells and stuff, all of the features that I could find that are unique to stronghold structures. And I'm 
basically tracing around the outside with a layer of black concrete for better visibility so the whole thing feels like it's kind of hanging in the void as it were with all of the different rooms of the stronghold standing out from this black background which now that i've got a decent chunk of it done i think is a pretty effective way to do this yeah i've always wanted to do that with the black concrete because it's just so dark and Mm -hmm. if you do even in like even if you go farther and do it in the nether where the light tends to be really low anyway yeah um you have to find a way to mob proof it if you're doing something on like the bottom part but like for walls and ceilings man you just get this black void look uh in what can be a very small room relatively speaking yes yeah it's, it's something i did before with the end portal room in this world but in a different stronghold so my first end portal that i found the first stronghold i went to uh which is a separate one from the museum stronghold i ended up converting the portal room itself into a diorama of the end and having floating islands in this room that is otherwise filled with black concrete but it's it's interesting Mm -hmm. you bring up the mob spawning problem because the other thing i did this week was build a mob switch uh this is something that's actually been suggested several times by listeners to the show as i've worked on the the museum and as we've had discussions about how to balance lighting with mob spawning in survival minecraft when you're at end game And it's a technical method of basically filling up the mob cap at spawn with mobs that do not despawn, persistent mobs, uh, of which there are three easily accessible varieties. You have shulkers, vindicators from woodland mansions, and zombified villagers if you've traded with them before they were zombified. So uh, those, and I think maybe the wither boss is also an option, although you'd have to trap 70 of them in bedrock somehow. Good luck with that. Um, I think it's been done, but mad lads who do it. Uh, the the one I went with was Zombified Villagers because I had a villager breeder that was still overflowing with villagers that I wasn't really doing anything with from when I was setting up my villager trading hall and it has a crop farm attached to it, which I didn't really want to turn off. So I ended up trading with a bunch of villagers with like the Fletcher trade, you know, the ones that are really easy. It's either like an emerald for some arrows or you just throw them a bunch of sticks and they and they trade once. Once the profession is locked in and you zombify them, they don't despawn because the game thinks, oh, you've traded with that villager already. I don't want to despawn that because then, you know, you, you end up losing the valuable trade that there was in the first right. place. So what I have now is a a box that kind of overlaps the boundary between the spawn chunks region of my world and the area just outside of that. So once they cross over from the red wool marked area into the green wool marked area, they are inside the spawn chunks and I can trap them in there using a a piston activated wall. And if they stay in there, they stay in the area that is loaded whenever I'm anywhere else in the overworld and no mobs spawn anywhere else. I have tried this, it works, and it is eerie. It is really, really strange (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, you're going to areas that, you know, in the dead of night with no lights anywhere, no natural light sources. I went to a swamp and I went under some caves in in, in a mountain and there was just nothing. And it feels really odd at first, but it's definitely something I could get used to when it comes to building stuff at the museum i've taken a bunch of screenshots recently of creepers just hanging out whenever i build like a beam over one of the corridors you know the hallways and stuff and i don't stick a torch up there instantly a creeper spawns up there so it's actually been really nice to have the option now of 
effectively toggling mob spawning in a world where I don't just switch the difficulty to peaceful, because then if I did that, that would erase the zombies in my iron farm, the name-tagged vindicator who I've got killing passive mobs for me as like an experimental farm. I've got, you know, a bunch of pacified pillagers in my town who would all just vanish. Uh, I've got a ravager that I saved for an auto crop farm that, you know, would do the same thing. So I think it's a really neat compromise. It's, as far as mechanics go, pretty broken, <laughs> but it took a lot of effort to put it in place uh, in the first place. And yeah, uh, we got some people in the chat asking how easy it would be to do on multiplayer servers. I believe the mob cap on multiplayer works differently because it starts to add mobs to the game for each player. So each player gets like an additional small allotment of mobs. Uh, and different uh. different servers actually handle that differently. There is a way you can set a global mob cap versus a player-based mob cap, which we did on the Don't Die server recently so that we could have uh, more mob spawns at... Um, you know, hostile mob farms and stuff like that while there were multiple players online. But still, uh, yeah, you would need a lot more mobs for it to be effective on a multiplayer server unless you were the only person online. But even so, it's a pretty effective way of doing things. Um, and I definitely recommend the zombie villager method over any others because obviously Vindicators and Woodland Mansions are going to be fewer and further between, and the alternative is bringing 70 shulkers back from the end, <laughs> which is a difficult task. I've done it with three so far, and I'm done with that. So, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. It was, and... it was a nice experiment, though, and it was fun to do something uh, technical after a little bit of a break from the more technical stuff in the survival guide world. We've got a lot of villagers on the Citadel, and uh, that would be an excellent use of them because uh, villager breeders now are not super hard to set up, yeah. and uh, our... Dart with Meadows setup, as far as the the distance goes, it's not really that far in the nether to get someone over to the edge of the spawn chunks zone. Mm -hmm. Like the, the spawn is a bit of a trek, but the spawn chunks, it's a much larger area. And so that, would, that wouldn't take that long to get some, a bunch of villagers. And really you'd only need, depending on how many you want to transport by hand, you'd only have to bring over a few before you could set up a breeder and just fill in the rest. Uh, over time uh, that's um yeah that's really interesting i i was thinking about that like a, as you were speaking about it a, about a multiplayer server and it's like it's almost like on a multiplayer server you could just leave 70 in the spawn chunks and whenever you're alone online enjoy the fact that there's no mobs and then as other players join the world world would get more difficult you know mm -hmm. yeah i've experienced that flying into my um i was doing a little bit of a, a tour in the medieval area and walking back uh rather than flying back so walking along the road up to the main gate where there are no lights and it was it was a mob zoo like yeah <laughs> true. there was a dozen mobs just like all going hi there <laughs> oh dear <laughs> run away uh so yeah i i can see it being um specifically useful like uh you mentioned uh stuff falling from the rafters my my stone church has got these lovely looking beam supports in in the ceiling uh, that are, are creeper prone. Like you, I look up every time I walk in that building to go like, anything going to fall on me? Mm -hmm. Do I have to like worry? Uh, and um, I've come to, obviously, I've obviously forgot a few places in that building, but usually what I do uh, is use redstone or uh, buttons. And if it's a part of the build that you can't see from the ground anyway, having a couple of buttons on top of it will keep things from being We'll keep things spawn-proof without adding like unnecessary lights or torches or things. Up yeah, high. Or, or anything that's going to create any lag because of updates or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's a smart way of doing things. And s some other things that 
having a mob switch is useful for from a technical side of things. I've I've mainly seen people use these in tandem with like TNT driven tunnel bores and the the kind of thing that it's a massive slime block flying machine that's churning out, you know, TNT and has a player basically babysitting it the entire time sat in a minecart but if you want to go afk on that or you know not pay attention to your surroundings without disabling hostile mob spawning for the rest of the world there's a chance that a creeper can walk up to you just by some happenstance mm. of the way the terrain sits and you know your your flying machine's clearance it can walk up to you explode from three squares away and you're left with a incredibly broken flying machine that took you maybe you know a day and a half to set up in the first place so uh right. yeah I, i've seen a lot of people use them for more technical stuff like that where it just requires uh, you know, for, for the safe operation of something like a TNT tunnel ball, you just need uh, a mob-free environment like that. It certainly, I expect, gives a bit of peace to uh, hardcore players as well. If you if you yeah. go caving in a ravine, you're not going to get a drop creeper falling on you and exploding instantly because that still happens to me in survival sometimes, and it's it's a pretty much instant KO. Yeah. Oh, I've had. Um, for me, it was Enderman. My first, I was not prepared to fight Enderman. Uh, in a cave and I thought I didn't look at him but I ended up looking at another one or something and I got two shot it I was just like all right well that's the end of that like yeah. that's it's one of the reasons like I can't tell you the number of times in my snapshot survival world where I'm going to where I've said you know uh, on stream and that is why I don't play hardcore mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, all this work would be like starting over again which I don't have any desire to do that frequently um, and I think I mean sure I think a, a good chunk of it is my mentality one it's not a hardcore world so i'm not thinking about that but also i play on a four-year server where i'm basically end game and i'm not indestructible but i i've died so many times it's not anything precious and i've i've slept 10 feet away so if i blow up as long as i don't blow up in lava mm -hmm. i'm not really concerned about it on the citadel so that mentality was hard to shake in the snapshot survival world so i was a lot of times i was kind of rushing in it's like well i maybe should have eaten a couple of steaks before I went into that cave that I saw a skeleton in where I'm at half, half health and half hunger. I should probably have waited, you know? Mm -hmm. So stuff like that is, is my own fault, but there's been lots of times where I've just, like you said, creeper from above. Uh, I got, I got smoked by an iron golem, you know, um, that kind of stuff is always a pain in the butt. Uh, I'm, um, I'm curious. I'm glad that you mentioned that 360 video is available because I went looking for it. I was like, well, I, can't, I thought he said he was going to release it. I can't find it. Um, that's going to be frustrating from the YouTube side of things because when that does eventually get published or if it can get published, it's not going to be in the right order, right? Because YouTube is going to put it on the date that it was released, not the episode title. Yeah, I'm probably just going to stick it in the playlist and say like, this is the right order to watch it. And if anybody's going mm. back through it, then it's going to be an anomaly, but it will make sense to people, I think, after the fact. And yeah, yeah I, in the meantime, I might try re-uploading it just in case YouTube processes it better a second time and the other video is just doomed. Uh, but either way, I, I want more people to see it because it is. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of work and I think it came together really well. Speaking of the snapshot, um, the one last thing I've been doing this week is working on a couple of test builds in the snapshot to see what I want to do with some of the newer blocks once 117 really gets going. And so I've been working on this idea for a desert civilization for a while that I want to be maybe a little bit different from the average desert civilization. I kind of want it to be more technological and take advantage of copper and stuff more. So I've been playing around with a build style that involves uh, a bit more of the, the, the what is it, um, exposed copper 
color palette and the, the kind of oxidized copper uh, in mm-hmm. tandem with some of the other stuff and just putting together some builds that use more of that kind of greenish cyan uh, color palette to them along with sandstone I think works super well. I also want to involve conduits as light sources which is again me overreaching when it comes to my Minecraft builds and thinking yeah what can I make really like prohibitively expensive about doing this and <laughs> and having these like floating light sources almost being like kind of nodes of power in this desert civilization is something that I'm into. So I'm going to pop a couple of screenshots of that in uh, the show notes this week and hopefully people will enjoy those. I like that. That looks really cool. I um I like the whole taking advantage of of the floating mechanics in Minecraft to have cool like floating crystals or power sources or things like that. I I've been thinking a lot about that kind of stuff for an eventual sci-fi uh, build and I guess a little bit in the in the medieval fantasy that could be kind of cool if I did like an elven someplace where there might be magic would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the combo. Is that um warped wood? Yes. With yeah. 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 The yeah that's really cool. I, I've been having trouble myself, actually, in the snapshot world, uh, trying to get copper uh, to work right. Uh, I needed a couple of things logistically uh, in my world, and so I um, I made a, a more efficient cow cooker. So I was breeding the cows and cooking the steak by hand, and while I had a, a prefab desert village cow pen already set up for me all i had to do was breed them so it was very easy i decided to make uh, something where the babies will fall into a water stream and then they'll grow up eventually so i never have to kill cattle and cull the herd i'm always just kind of breeding more and eating the ones that i breed uh and i try to do some copper and and deep slate and ended up using very little of the natural deep slate colors but only the polished deep slate seemed to work the best uh, and then, um, did some copper now that I've got bees, I was able to wax the copper, but, uh, not finding the new blocks super easy to work with. And mm-hmm. I mean, in part I'm in a desert. So, I mean, anything I do in the desert just stands out like a sore thumb and looks yeah. very odd. Um, but we are at a stage now where, uh, I'm, I'm getting very close to level 30 again. We're hoping to get a fortune enchantment. So I'm going to start to get a lot more copper and I'm trying to force myself to build with it. And now that I have a lot of bees going and I have lots of, uh, honeycomb, uh, I can start waxing at various levels of of oxidation. I have to figure out how to measure that. Like I want to try and do, I don't know if I want to go as far as to do like a fully automatic thing because that redstone might be a little bit beyond me. And I'm trying to do what you, what you do, which is not go look up a tutorial. Yeah. Like I just, I want to try and experiment on my own, use the knowledge I have and see if I can come up with a decent way to do things. And um, I thought that uh, it would be fun to try and hook maybe the uh, an observer up to a bell or a note block or something that would just chime a specific note or a specific sound and just have them near where I'm usually hanging around you know so f- within 15 blocks of the workshop where I normally do all my you know sorting and stuff would be kind of cool to say like you know oh there's the uh, there's the banjo that means that we're at stage three of oxidation mm-hmm. or something uh, that could be kind of fun um, I would have to look up the redstone circuit for counting that kind of stuff, but I don't think it would be too difficult. I think once I got kind of the idea for it, it would probably come through pretty clean. Um, so I worked on that and that worked out well. All of a sudden now I'm just, I'm flush with steak. I never have to think about it. Uh, every once in a while I got to run by and breed up some cows, but after that it's, it's a very easy thing to do. Uh, the dispensers dispense lava onto a slab. So like it cooks the cows immediately. There's no waiting. I'm not wasting any fuel. Um, which was the other thing is like, I didn't want to start wasting fuel that I need to use for smelting copper. So now that we're coming up on getting fortune, hopefully I'm looking at um, smelting a lot of copper and trying to use it uh, quite a bit. And uh, so I came up with a design for a bamboo powered smelter. 
and uh it works actually surprisingly and uh kudos to i can't remember who it was i think her name was katie in the chat that uh suggested that i use leaf redstone so one of the challenges with this design was to not have it be huge and trying to get the observers to send the signal all the way down to the bottom it's about 10 blocks tall uh to the bottom piston that then breaks the bamboo when it grows up to the top and the observer just uses a sticky piston to spit out a birch block that touches a bunch of birch leaves and it's the another observer observes the the leaves changing their um detectant of, of wood update yeah which works up to seven blocks and because of the pistons and the different mechanics i really only needed to do five so it works out very very well the pistons double punch but that's fine because it's, it just means that they get everything uh it's not 100 percent lossless every now and again a bamboo piece will land on the top of the bamboo stump the part that you can't cut off because yeah. it won't grow anymore yeah yeah uh but it's minimal like considering that you get i don't know a dozen or more and you lose one like it's 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 less than 10 percent, maybe even less than five percent loss uh and everything just kind of runs it's still kind of manual like you have to put your stuff into a smelting um into a smelting uh hopper and then let that go and turn that on but other than that it works pretty well the one mistake that i made it runs north south and of course minecart rails prefer east west yeah which is a terrible mechanic <laughs> in the game like it is infuriating it took me ages to the point where i actually i ran out of time on stream and i'm glad i did because i was i was feeling the frustration coming through and i finished it off stream because it was it was really maddening to try and place these rails when they should just go where you tell them to go yeah i i don't know why uh, I'd be happy to hear from a developer if they can tell us why Minecraft rails prefer east-west over north-south when being laid down. It is really rough when you have uh, a couple of tracks next to each other in a build like this. But, yeah, they they, uh, anyway. they always want to connect to their neighbors diagonally whilst you've got those two parallel yeah. rails running. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really strange. It gets very awkward when you are setting up furnace arrays in particular. Yeah, um, so we found some moss blocks and uh, I, I've been decorating with those. I've been experimenting with those. We haven't really done much with the drip leaf. Uh, the only thing I think I haven't found yet is just geodes and glow berries because I haven't found an abandoned mine shaft. And I'm kind of hoping that if we find an abandoned mine shaft, that might lead us to a geode. Like I'm kind of hoping we get both uh, in, in one go uh, on the... Um, on the survival world um on the citadel though I, I with all the technical stuff happening and scratching that itch on the snapshot world i on the citadel i went back into building and been doing some uh, worked on something i've been thinking about for quite some time and that was to add another water wheel to the world uh, on the river in the town and connect it to a carpenter workshop and it's been really fun to kind of imagine how this would work uh i've been watching a fair amount of the create mod on youtube mm -hmm. uh, with some of our favorite creators doing that kind of stuff and uh i'm just imagining having that kind of functionality in Ma minecraft and thinking about okay well which way is the river going and how is the wheel turning and what like shafts and things and cogs do i need inside to make that work and it's all hooked up to a milling table uh at the surface level so at the street level you walk into the shop and there's a great big uh table with a saw blade which is of course a um, stone cutter uh that looks like it's being run by this shaft coming out of the floor and a belt and it's all hooked up to the water wheel which i'm pretty proud of uh and then somebody again great ideas one of the reasons why i build live on on twitch instead of doing it all in creative first is uh somebody suggested a uh, gantry crane 
to have um, logs be brought up from like barges and rafts and stuff in the river mm-hmm. and have it loaded into uh, the, the higher level because otherwise you'd have to carry the stuff upstairs which is just daft. Like, why would you want to do that? And so struggling a bit with that, it took a while to figure out that rather than trying to connect the chain to an actual structure, I should just connect the chain to the logs themselves and then put down rails and ladders and stuff to make it look like they're strapped down to a platform. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard. Like, it's not the easiest thing to do that kind of look in Minecraft because you just you can't do angles. What you want is something that looks like a pyramid, right? With chains coming up at 45s, but you can't do that. Uh, I tried a bunch of different things, trapdoors, fences. It all looked terrible. <laughs> you could probably do it at a bigger scale, uh, but I, it's only a three by three platform. So um, I took some time to do that. Had a blast working on it. It's, it was a lot of fun to kind of get in and do the details and working on things like uh, it is nice to have things like grindstones look like chains and pulleys. Um, the chains themselves uh, look good. I do. I think I want to finally get in there and make the chains a 3D texture. Like I, they're currently the the single voxel kind of planes. And I'd like to do a model where they've got... Um, 3d stuff uh, i didn't realize how used to it i've gotten but my rails are 3d rails it's a vanilla tweaks uh resource pack that i've downloaded and um in the snapshot world of course i'm not using any texture packs whatsoever i just want to experience everything as as mojang has designed it and the rails are f- that flat kind of pixel plane again yeah and yeah i man do i i notice it constantly it's like yeah. oh man wh- where'd my rail go oh there it is like i just you're like why I'm is, so used why to is having... this floating a pixel off all of the stuff i yeah. put it on yeah i'm so used to having them be like 3d objects uh, same with ladders same you know same thing with that too so um so that looks pretty cool on the citadel because of course it makes it look like they're actually strapped down with something rather than just this weird kind of like uh polygonal plane um, but that's, that's really been it. Uh, as far as the Citadel goes, it was a pretty straightforward build. I didn't have time to complete either one of them on stream. So that felt a little bit funny. Um, but it just means that I got to go back and, and finish something else up, you know, the next stream. Uh, I've been spoiled on the Citadel the last couple of weeks. I think there's been a number of times where like, I've been able to build something in one stream, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm back to taking like at least a weekend, if not a little bit more. I'm eyeballing the water wheel on this building and thinking how many of the blocks you've used in that just didn't exist last time I built a water wheel. <laughs> I'm looking at like the spruce yeah. trap doors in there. There's barrels, there's stripped logs. There's also the fact that you can now waterlog blocks in, in ways that like when I last built a mm-hmm. water wheel, I think the way I got around it not having water further up around the structure was having cauldrons and as though it's like bucketing water out of the the river instead of you know having water sources on there because they would just run down over the blocks and you used to have those odd side textures where the the is like the the block was repelling the water and it, it tended to look all kind of strange but yeah I, th- I think it's it's really neat the amount of stuff you can do with effects like that now that there is a wider palette of blocks in the game to work with you i mean you even mentioned using grindstones and the stone cutter as a saw blade and stuff i think there's so much more that you can do with immersion when it comes to that sort of uh level of technology now that i think mm-hmm. go- goes a long way in builds like this Thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, the the first water wheel I did in the medieval realm was nine by nine. This is seven by seven, so it's a little bit trickier, but uh, same principles. I didn't change a whole lot. I changed a couple of block textures, so it's a more of a spruce wheel, whereas the other one was more of an oak wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the same boat. The first water wheel I ever did was back in like one twelve, and what I did, similar to your cauldron 
uh, I used trapdoors along the outside of the whole wheel, but when it got to the surface of the water, I just didn't have a trapdoor there. I just had a log kind of touch the surface of the water. So because there were trapdoors everywhere else, you kind of assumed the trapdoor was under the water uh, when you got down to the surface, but you couldn't see it because obviously it wasn't there. Um, but uh, yeah, the waterlogged stuff really opens up a lot of possibilities for, for different things. Uh, farms I've been looking at, uh, all kinds of stuff with waterlogged blocks. And it's, I also, it's hard to see in this photograph, but I was talking a lot on the, um, on the stream about having a sense of history mm -hmm. in the build, but wanting specifically to hone down, it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean ancient history. Like I, I used some um, stripped dark oak blocks at the bottom of the of the water wheel where it was both in the water and just out of the water to try and kind of give the idea of like it's rotating this part is wet because it was under the water not 30 seconds ago mm -hmm. and so i found that having that sort of sense of movement like not putting the crane at the bottom or the top but putting it halfway up right like it gives you that sense of history not just that the town is old but that something happened five minutes ago that you weren't here for and uh where you can't get things to move in, in minecraft in the same way that you can in the create mod which i'm very jealous about um then you you can kind of infer that with a little bit of um i, I will say like texture storytelling i guess or position storytelling i'm not sure how to really word it um but it was something we were talking about at length on stream it was a lot of fun the other small bit of homework I did was uh, I copied my two characters from the PC version of Minecraft uh, Dungeons over to the Xbox Series Oh, X cool. How did version. that go? Yeah, no problem. It's uh, it's honestly, it's like using Google Drive. Like you you log into Minecraft on the PC, or Minecraft Dungeons, and they say, uh, hey, we've updated cloud saves. To access that, go to your character menu. And so when you go to your character selection screen, when you click on one, it just says, do you want to upload this character? You go, yep. And it says, here's an empty slot. Okay. Um, I only had two characters, so I don't know if you can upload more than three. Um, I would imagine three is probably the limit. Um, so I uploaded both the characters, and then I went to Dungeons on the Xbox. Same idea. As soon as I opened up the app on the Xbox, it said like, hey, we've got to download an update. Oh, right. Okay, do that. <laughs> uh, and then it says uh, you go in and you can then in the empty slot, instead of create a new character, you have create a new character and or download a character and as long as you're logged in which you probably are if you're on the xbox then you can just download the character it was easy breezy um it was weird because of course once i logged into my top tier character which is only like level 29 uh i was in the camp and there was all kinds of things i didn't know how to use or do mm -hmm. <laughs> because i haven't logged in in a while uh, but the thing that stood out to me the most is noticing how difficult the inventory is to manage on console right yeah with a controller uh because it doesn't when you move something on the PC, it works like the Minecraft PC inventory where you click on the thing and it puts it in your cursor hand and it hovers above right where you took it off. And then you can move it left, right, up, down. You can kind of organize your inventory. On the Xbox, it wants to help you and tries to auto-equip it. So it moves it to the left-hand side of the screen, a far away from your inventory, and tries to put it in whatever equipment slot it goes in. But you're like, but no, I don't want to equip it. I want to just move it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to organize all of my swords and stuff next to one another so I can look at them and decide which ones I want to keep and which ones I want to bail on. And it took me... <laughs> I went to go play Minecraft Dungeons. I spent 45 minutes of my lunch hour 
organizing my inventory and then i had to go back to work yeah uh -huh. <laughs> so it was like okay next time next time i'll play minecraft dungeons with the uh the higher tier characters on on the xbox but i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be more of a lean back experience and what's nice about it as a content creator is that if i do decide to stream it again i can just copy the character upload it to the cloud download it and replace the character on the pc and just go forward yeah yeah sounds sounds good i i just went to the faq page that we linked a couple of weeks ago now um because i wasn't sure about the cloud save uh thing you can actually have 20 uh slots wow. for for characters to to cloud save so i think it's probably just giving you one more available slot than you had characters for in the same way that when you go to the hero select screen it's only got one thing saying create new hero right so maybe it kind of always gives you one more than you've uploaded up to the maximum of 20 i guess but uh, yeah so that was the yeah the misleading part for me was when i looked at the character carousel in the game it looked like there was only three spots yeah. rotating around, but you can have more than three in the in like saved. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when oh, cool. when you uh, when you create a new character, it's always going to give you room to create one more, basically. So uh, it on, it okay. only gives you like one empty space, so that the whole thing isn't full of empty locations for characters. No, that makes sense. Yeah, so it goes from be, like in, in like it's a pizza that just keeps on getting cut. It goes from like two to three to five to yeah. six. Like it just you know exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. You want to talk about the snapshot? Uh, let's do it. Yeah. Let's. Uh, we got a, a snapshot and a couple of uh, videos to cover as well. Yes. Uh, starting off with Minecraft Java Edition snapshot twenty one W twenty A. There are uh, actually changes made to geodes this time. They are rarer now in the game. The GUI narration now includes position and usage of hovered or focused elements. Tilling rooted dirt with a hoe will now convert it to dirt and pop out a hanging roots item. Axolotls will now only play dead when in water. Llamas no longer spit at players in peaceful mode. Changes to the Caves and Cliffs preview data pack include that they've added a new NBT tag for entities has visual fire which will cause an entity with this flag to visually appear on fire even if they are not actually on fire they're fire liars fixed bugs of note in 21w20a uh, there's a long list of bugs in the patch notes for minecraft uh java edition this week uh, you can go find those at minecraft.net here are some of the ones that we thought were worth mentioning uh, grass flowers and snow are placed incorrectly in newly created chunks that's been fixed amethyst geodes cause floating water and or lava to generate when intersecting intersecting water and or lava caves or pools that's been fixed amethyst geodes can overwrite bedrock amethyst geodes can overlap with dungeons and amethyst geodes can generate in a stronghold and can potentially destroy uh, the end portal frames all of those have also been fixed those amethyst geodes turned out to be a little troublesome <laughs> i guess um right so the videos i wanted to highlight this week include the caves and cliffs special about blocks uh these are both on minecraft's official youtube channel youtube.com slash minecraft uh the first one is our friend king b dogs and uh alexander ostman uh both highlighting the blocks of the caves and cliffs part one update with a focus on powdered snow new ore blocks and copper uh the video has an explanation of where to find some of the lush cave blocks in 117 for people who haven't been following snapshot development closely and i think this is really worth a watch for anybody who wants to know what's in this update after they've heard a lot of stuff has been split off for the part two release 
The second video I wanted to highlight is the Minecraft Dungeons Diaries for the Hidden Depths DLC. We mentioned this last week, figured there was a video on the way, and it came out, I think, about 15 minutes after the podcast finished recording. Typical. Uh, but Laura and JP uh, take a look at the new Minecraft Dungeons DLC, including how ocean biomes are going to have an impact on gameplay because gameplay looks a little bit different underwater they also explain raid captains and they cover the dungeons anniversary event both the dlc for minecraft dungeons and the anniversary event are going to arrive this wednesday may 26th two days away from this recording and the anniversary event is going to last until june 8th so you have about two weeks to get hold of uh, exclusive costumes and do daily trials in order to get a uh, very tasty looking cape. Uh, do you want to talk about the Minecraft Dungeons video? Because I, I just watched that before the show. Yeah, yeah, and, we might uh, as well. I am incredibly and continue to be impressed by the free content that they bring with every update. It's mm -hmm. a really smart plan to, hey, here's the DLC if you want to pay for it and have some new levels and some adventures and stuff like that. But they, they have new enchants. They have the, uh, what are they called? The raid captains. Boss, raid, raid captains. They yeah. have the raid captains. Uh, and you can even get access to some of the water uh, levels through um, the, the caves, um, uh, the secret levels and stuff, which I thought was really cool. Um, and the, just the the stuff that they have with the um, the limited time anniversary stuff, the cake armor gave me a chuckle. Oh, it's, like, it's great. Just, it's so funny. Looking. It's such a and for whatever reason, they've just they've been able to manicure the art direction and the spirit of Minecraft Dungeons in a way that because I've played it before and one of the bows that I used went sproing when I shot it, I am not surprised and I am delighted that there is a birthday cake armor with a sprinkles cake and a candle helmet mm -hmm. <laughs> that I can wear in the game. And it like it just it's so much fun. And it comes through too with the the interviews they did with Laura and JP. They're, I mean, I'm sure everyone that works in the game is very passionate about it. I don't want to, uh, you know, call out anybody, but because they were the ones on camera, you can just genuinely feel how much fun they've had and how excited they are to get this into the hands of players. Yeah, and it's there's something about it that looks almost homemade about the cake costume you know it, it seems like the kind of thing that would win a minecraft costume contest because somebody yeah. came dressed as a cake you know yeah. like it, yeah. it, it feels like the kind of thing that you know it's either like an inflatable costume or something somebody's put together and their mum has helped them make it with cardboard but then you're still you know firing crossbows at enemies and swinging giant pickaxes and stuff and it it just adds to the the kind of light comedy that they've brought into minecraft dungeons in a, in a really big way um, it also seems like this DLC returns to the format the other Overworld DLCs have had, which is two storyline missions plus a secret mission and a big boss fight at the end of story mission number two. So it's along the same lines as Jungle Awakens, Creeping Winter, the other ones that have had that same format. And I think that's good. I think a lot of people were confused by the Nether DLC being basically six straight up missions and not really any kind of storyline or narration or anything going on. Um, but it seems like they have a bit of a plan for that. And from what I can see about the gameplay, there's a good balance of water mechanics and the regular kind of physics of dungeons gameplay, right? So there are definitely areas where players are drifting around with some different inertia because they're floating through water. There's a couple of really interesting looking changes in vertical landscape, like you leap off of an area and then the focus adjusts to the area you're leaping to. 
and there's different lighting going on so the you know sea floor in this area looks kind of murkier until you get up close to it and i think that whole environment like working that into the level but hopefully not making it feel like getting oxygen is a struggle uh should make for a really interesting rebalance of the gameplay people are used to apparently these water areas are also going to show up in the uh, ancient hunts missions so they're going to be mixed in with levels from the nether and so forth so you could find yourself stepping through a nether portal going to another segment of one of those missions and then finding yourself underwater and having to rethink your combat strategy which uh, i think is going to add a bit of depth to gameplay for people who feel like the game has been missing that so far mm -hmm. i agree and um ancient hunts that's that's the term i couldn't remember about getting access to the to the water levels uh, and it's funny that you mentioned depth because i mean puns aside from my limited time playing dungeons whenever you come to the edge of something it's bad like you don't want to jump off of it you want to generally uh unless you can see the bottom and it's only a few blocks away it's going to cause you to die um whereas the some of the clips in this video like players are jumping down tens of if not 30 blocks uh because they're underwater so they're floating down uh, not slowly, but like slower than you'd fall. Uh, and it really creates a lot of verticality to the levels, which I wasn't anticipating, which is very, very cool. Um, and I thought that the graphic way that they represented the fact that you're walking through what looks like a glassed over dome. So you're fine, you're in air, you're fighting dungeons and doing things in a way that you normally would. But then everything else outside of that path that you're walking on is like coral and seaweed and all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, and uh, man, I mean... I'm sure you're probably right behind me on this, and I know I keep on beating this drum, but I want all of those hidden depth blocks in Minecraft. Uh-huh, yeah. Holy <laughs> smoke. The environment design is is off the charts in some of the wow. Dungeons DLC. Really, really pretty. Like, the things that caught my eye quickly were, uh, like, different tile sets for Prismarine, stuff that looks like, you know, uh, more of a tile than just, like, a block or a brick. Um, dark magma blocks, where they're mostly black is instead of mostly orange um squares tones stone tiles a uh, stone that looks like the same pattern as um purple blocks like that two by two mm -hmm. uh man like th just really really out of this world stuff it looks really immersive there's probably more blocks that i was seeing that i just wasn't even registering uh lots of bubble columns and uh in the dungeons that i've played the the jumping mechanics are usually like springboards or catapults and in this they're clams yeah i, I love the res <laughs> the reskin of the the piston springboard as like a as a clam is very very funny um, yeah there's really clever stuff the the raid captains feature seems like a smart one as well like it's a mid-level way of adding the kind of modifiers that you'd get in daily trials so instead of getting bad mm. omen like you would for killing a pillager captain in vanilla minecraft it effectively gives you a list of additional challenges that are added to the level like now all of the enemies are enchanted with thorns and it's going to be harder to fight them or now all of the creepers from this point on are going to be replaced by baby zombies and there's a few kind of level modifiers that can be activated mid-stage and i wonder if people are going to find ways to exploit that like basically have that enemy follow you as far as the end of the level or if, if it's going to be possible to do that and then kill them right at the last second and then still be able to claim the reward at the end of it i, I expect there might right. be some uh, some shenanigans happening there but again fun ways to reconsider uh playing the game and yeah i i do think they're doing a a great job with this the next dlc after this is the one that they've teased so far is going to be related to the end 
And I'm really mm. excited to see what they do with that because yeah. we can presume that that is going to be, if not the end of the storyline of Minecraft Dungeons that they've kind of threaded so far, then at least like, you know, the the end of the stuff that they've announced up to this point in terms of additional biomes, DLC levels and stuff like that. I'm I'm curious to see the direction they take it. Now, from my limited time in the game uh, on Xbox, uh, looking around the map and stuff, it uh, I've, I've read it online, but it does look like I have to pick up the DLC separately on Xbox in order to access uh-huh. that. Yeah. Um, the, your characters and your power level would come over. I don't know what would happen if I had a character with, say, DLC weapons, like there's a coral blade in the, the Hidden Depths. If I had retrieved that on the PC, but then loaded the character and carried it over to the xbox would everything carry over except for the dlc weapon so that i just have an empty hand and i have to grab grab one of my other weapons in order to use i think the dlc equipment should still carry over because you can buy that from the camp in the base game i don't think you need to have dlc stuff to get hold of those to my knowledge i haven't been able to test it out because i've only ever played it on pc and bought the season pass and everything so yeah, I'm not. I'm looking uh, forward to testing this out and maybe giving some real world feedback for people that might be kind of wondering. Because the other thing that I want to try and do, obviously, is um, now that I've got cloud saves, is play with friends more. You know, like mm-hmm. if a friend's got it on Switch or if they're on uh, PlayStation or Xbox or whatever, like it would be fun to be able to do that uh, where we, we couldn't before. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to highlight from this is that anyone who's playing Minecraft Earth or has played Minecraft Earth and is sad about some of the. Uh, the variety of mobs from that going away when Minecraft Earth is sunset later next month, I believe. Um, the slimes in the ocean DLC in Hidden Depths seem to be the tropical slimes from Minecraft Earth that actually, they're, they're blue variants of slimes that you can actually see pixel art fish swimming around the outer texture of them. So it's like a slime that actually has a fishbowl inside of it which i think is such a neat redesign of slimes and the animated texture of those just gives me joy every time i see it so uh yeah really really worth checking out if you're a fan of the mob variety in minecraft earth they've brought in a few variants of mobs to this dlc that seem like they're going to have a lot of bring a lot of character to the area for sure let's uh let's talk about the snapshot though because again this is a fairly light snapshot this week it's mostly tweaks to existing features we think we've probably got most of the features that are going to arrive for 1.17 I, I think it definitely seems like i don't know if you agree with this that we're getting much closer to a release candidate for uh the first half of caves and cliffs update at this point yeah i definitely feel that way too um started with last week where they removed a couple things or i shouldn't say removed, postponed a couple of features to later in the year uh but this one with all the bug fixes specifically the bug fixes to the amethyst geodes making them more rare, uh, trying to have them not interfere with portal blocks and portal blocks, uh, uh, bedrock, like all that kind of stuff feels like refinement of the part one generation, yeah. uh, cave generation and stuff, uh, and new feature generation. And um, I, yeah, like I just, I'm, I'm running the course, you know, in the snapshot, Um, series trying to explore and use the new blocks where i can and the only thing that i've been hamstrung by so far is just not having yet found a geode yeah Um, i also haven't like i haven't dug a grid underground looking for one i'm Mm -hmm. kind of hoping to find one a little bit more naturally um but yeah i i think you know as far as those go i mean it sounds like it's coming uh closer to release candidate uh i think 
the the one thing I'm hoping that they're still taking feedback and consideration on is is um, and something we'll get into a little bit later is is the where you get everything and how you come across everything. Um, I like the fact that hanging roots uh, will now drop separately from the rooted dirt, so that if you wanted to use those in decoration, you know, landscaping and stuff, mm-hmm. you could do that. Um, instantly my brain goes like, it would be a really nice touch in some of the landscaping and roads that I've done before. But also if you're doing like a big cave build or something, if you go as far as to, and when Optifine catches up to 117, uh, in a lot of cases, people do this with flowers or grass. You can have a couple of different textures for the same object and just have Minecraft randomly put in different versions. Yeah. Uh, so you could have a couple different versions of rooted dirt so it doesn't look so repetitive. Um, and it could really open up a lot of possibilities for just that little sense of immersion. Like, um, I find that a lot of times now as I'm detailing builds on the Citadel, um, I'm looking for these little blocks that will just make a big difference. It's not necessarily something you're going to see all the time, but as you walk by stuff, having that noise to the left and right of you is, is going to help. So I don't want to discount, um, the stuff we talk a lot about copper and deep slate on the show, but there's a lot of vegetation and stuff that, that I think is going to be um important and i feel like they've sorted out all the world gen i don't know about the plant stuff yeah yeah i'm i'm curious to see how that stuff comes together as well like um being able to get hold of moss and and all of the moss plants like you you grow azalea from that you get you know rooted dirt from azalea trees and then you can get hanging roots from the rooted dirt there's like a a cascading effect that happens when you just get hold of one block suddenly you have access Mm -hmm. to a ton of other stuff as well um it seems like the spore blossom is the one thing that we're not getting from lush caves i think that's probably been delayed until actual generation arrives but in the meantime you still have azalea leaves moss carpet drip leaf a lot of that stuff comes into play as well uh while we're on the subject of foliage as well i want to highlight the fact that the grass flowers and snow being placed incorrectly the bug that's been fixed is one of the older bugs that we've seen them fix recently and it's the one that generates grass and so forth over areas which have been replaced in a, a secondary pass on world generation by things like lakes and you know, it's it's the thing that will cause snow layers to generate over a pool of lava, and then make you think you can run on terrain, and then you fall through into a into a lava lake if you're not careful. Or if you see floating grass above a pond in a forest or a plains biome, then that's caused by this bug, which just doesn't delete those when the game replaces that part of the terrain with a different feature. And honestly, I think it's a good change because that does immediately look kind of buggy when you find it. But yeah, it's one of those things that while it's annoying and unsightly it still kind of reminds you that minecraft is a quirky game uh, so even though i fully agree those should be gone i'm gonna kind of miss them in a, in a weird nostalgic sort of way this isn't a hill i'm gonna die on <laughs> or anything but i think it's uh, it's one of those things that like you know a, a little piece of history like you know you 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 know you're an early player if you remember the floating pieces of grass i guess um as far as other world generation stuff, I loaded a world in the snapshot just to check on geodes. And if you're going through the world in spectator mode, obviously you have the advantage of being able to just see everything instantaneously. But it still seemed to me that they generated quite frequently, at least noticeably enough. Like I could go down into the world with maybe like a 10 chunk render distance and I'd still see two or three from wherever I was at the time. So maybe I just got lucky, but I don't think there's going to be that much trouble finding them 
that there wasn't before because there's no real guaranteed way of finding them in survival. I don't know if there's going to be a noticeable difference to gameplay when it comes to finding geodes specifically. Yeah, and with my snapshot world, depending on where I'm stumbling upon one, um, I generated the terrain in 16A, 17A, something like that. And so the geodes, if they're there where I'm currently loading most of the chunks, they would have been more frequent. Whereas as I explore further, I'll get into the the 20A generation. So, I mean, well, I, I'll just see how it goes. Um, I'm curious to see what it's like to find them and harvest the blocks and, and get crystal. Um, I can't remember the name of the blocks that actually generate the crystals, but like there's a specific block that you can't mine it's or like, you don't uh, want to mine. Budding amethyst, I think is what it's called. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that because again, the the snapshot world for me is a pretty technical world right now. I'm trying to explore how to get the blocks that I want and what's the most efficient way to keep um, those abilities at the ready and using the tinted glass and some mob farms would be very cool, I think, in the desert um, because of just the, the number of mobs that spawn. Whatnot. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's going to be a, an interesting commodity to get your hands on in the early days of a multiplayer server as well. Like the, the person who first finds a geode and gets to claim it as their farming spot is potentially going to have a good trade in uh, tinted glass i think right uh speaking of which i think we should probably move on to chunk mail because we have a really interesting email coming up that's going to spin into our uh main discussion about the accessibility of some of those blocks but uh first i'm going to read this email that comes in from kyo dude uh if you'd like to email the show the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and kyo dude writes in with the subject of a minecraft in-game tutorial Hello, Johnny and Joel. Real quick, I'd like to say thanks for the great podcast. I listen to it every morning on your bike ride. Well, thank thank you so much and uh, enjoy your ride today. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was teaching my little sister how to play Minecraft. She already knew the controls and things because she loved playing creative mode. But when it came to survival, she had difficulty accepting that she had to gather resources first before immediately starting a project. At first, she didn't see the fun of being in a world where monsters were threatening her and had to fend off hunger by growing crops and eating food. That led me to think about the old Xbox 360 tutorial worlds. It helped me when I first started, but it wasn't teaching survival Minecraft. What if Mojang released a new tutorial world, one for teaching the basics of survival? Instead of just having little text bubbles informing you what to do, it could be a visual guide, highlighting specific blocks and showing the player their uses. I think it should be like a normal survival world, but with a helping hand to guide you along. This might not be for most players, but for the new younger ones who have just joined this crazy yet wonderful game. Dude died while escaping a screaming goat. <laughs> a death message that we'll all see fairly soon, I expect. Um, uh, something I need to clip from my latest stream because that's uh, something I experienced recently as mm -hmm. well. Yes. Um, I, I know this ends up being a language barrier thing, but some of the most fun tutorial experiences I've ever had in video games have been cleverly and funny written voiceovers. Uh, and I, I'm thinking like Borderlands 3, Savage Planet, Journey to the Savage Planet was really fun. There's a bunch of stuff that I think would be great in that realm. But I also know that one of the reasons why Minecraft is so worldwide is because of the low barrier right like you can grasp the game uh with i mean as long as the some of the text that's necessary on screen is in the language you can read then really there's not a huge barrier right um i'm curious and this is why i picked this email because essentially what you do 
Johnny is a massive version of an intro tutorial <laughs> I mean, about Minecraft. Yeah. And I'm just, and I'm wondering, cause I don't have any experience with the Xbox 360 um, tutorial world, but if, if you do, I'm curious as to what your thoughts would be if Minecraft and, and Mojang were to update it. Yeah. I mean, I, I started on the Xbox 360 edition. So yeah, that tutorial world, it, it went through a couple of updates, but is somewhat familiar to me. And this is, yeah, it's kind of what I do with my own video series now is break things down into bite-sized tasks and try and provide some context. Um, I think, it, you know, it's, it's all very well telling people that they should do something, but why they're doing it is also important. And that's something that requires a lot of explaining or is learned by playing the game without too much guidance. It's a kind of learn by doing rather than learning by people telling you constantly. And I know that sounds ironic coming from me, considering the amount of talking I do in my videos. But honestly, one thing I've learned while working on this museum project is that some blocks and items in Minecraft are deceptively complex. And to attempt to explain exactly what each player wants to know when they're new to the game is a really difficult task because everybody comes into the game with different ideas and it takes multiple paragraphs just to explain how a grass block behaves but grass is everywhere and it's one of the first blocks you encounter and learning the different ways you can interact with that is effectively part of the the fun and the point of minecraft is like you know gradually building up your knowledge over time i think it's mainly going to be a matter of patience especially for younger players they will eventually start to zone in on the stuff that they want to do and then their experience of the game will build off of that foundation so for people like me i'm really interested in things like you know the fact that a grass block has spread mechanics and can be bone mealed for all of this stuff and is also a spawnable block for passive mobs and the you know block reverts to dirt if it doesn't have enough sunlight and you can turn it into farmland and like the amount of stuff you can do the sky block approach to it where you really have to know so much about the mechanics of the game in order to get by but then new players aren't necessarily going to want to have that experience because learning all of that stuff can be kind of overwhelming i think it's important to take the game at your own pace with that said i think part of the core design philosophy of minecraft is to provide as little information as possible to the player or perhaps more accurately communicate the game's mechanics without a heavy reliance on dialogue or text and i think that's kind of why there isn't you know a, a tutorial world within minecraft java edition and why bedrock edition doesn't necessarily come with one although i expect some dedicated tutorial maps have been made by the community by this point it could be on planet minecraft if you're playing on java or the bedrock marketplace but i expect there will be people out there who have made something that feels a little bit more like it's walking you through okay here are the basics here is you know you break this block with a pickaxe and it turns into cobblestone you know that kind of stuff i expect stuff like that will be out there but really minecraft is the long game you know and and if somebody doesn't like it right now maybe it's something they come back to when they have a bit more patience for that sort of more lonely exploration experience and an understanding that the world will reveal itself to them over time and in the meantime there's absolutely nothing wrong with them playing creative <laughs> like if if your sister is a, uh, a creative player primarily then it's uh it, it's something that maybe she can keep playing until she's got a bit more patience to sit down and uh, play a bit more survival it's emails like this that that often have me questioning sometimes the amount of time that i spend in survival like i could have easily done a snapshot 
creative world, you know, mm-hmm. to explore all kinds of new stuff and not have to wait weeks before we can find a geode. Yeah. Uh, and it's because you can imagine the younger question of just like, oh, so I have to mine stuff and, and, and pick it all up and collect it before I can even use it. And if I want to use these special blocks that I have access to in the inventory, like jungle wood or or, uh, you know, mycelium or things that are just, just not generally available when you first spawn in the world, depending on where you spawn. Um, I can just imagine the, 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 the honest question of like, why would I want to do that? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. then the survival player is like, well, let me, um, actually, hmm. And then you just enter into this zone of questioning your life choices. <laughs> yeah. How much time you spend in the game. But there is that payoff of learning over time taking the time to grasp things um i feel like it's akin to like when you're learning something challenging like math uh in, or, or or uh geology or sciences in, in school like it takes a certain amount of base knowledge to then apply those concepts to a broader spectrum of of information and then learn based on like a tiered system and I mean, I get it. Like, I understand why that's rewarding in Minecraft. And for me, I mean, as a content creator, obviously, you it, you just create more content by do, playing survival. Um, I think one thing that would be an interesting way to kind of augment this, and this was an idea that I got from watching uh, Tango Tech play the Create mod, which is a very complex mod. And one of the things that they do, rather than long-winded explanations, they do these little animations that pop up in the middle of the screen if you want them to. Uh, by pressing a key, it'll show you how this gear works or how this conveyor belt system could connect to another thing. Because uh, there's some weird and wonderful new um, blocks and devices that they add in this mod. And I was thinking that when I was playing the snapshot um, world, I knew a lot of what was happening. I would unlock iron. I would get coal. I would say, oh, I've unlocked spruce blocks now and blah, blah, blah. But the little pop-up that you get in the top right-hand corner that says, you now have a bunch of new blocks. Don't forget to check your recipe book. Like, if you're out exploring this beautiful world or if you're defending yourself against skeletons or something like that, you don't catch that. Yeah. And I wonder if there would be an interesting uh, toggle in the settings to say, do you want regular tutorial pop-ups or do you want new player tutorial pop-ups? And in a way, it would be nice if, like Minecraft Dungeons or I'm trying to think about another game, I think maybe it was Minecraft Earth that did this on the screen. But if I picked up a moss block for the first time and it just kind of goes, like these are all the things that you could do or you've unlocked a lot of different blocks with this. Don't forget to check your recipe book. If that was dead center of the screen and kind of came up as an overlay or something that you could easily just like press a key to get rid of or, um, you know, dismiss and and say, hey, this will be in your your recipe book. Don't forget to check this later. I feel like it would be a lot easier for new players to say like, oh, okay, this is a tree I have to explore. This is a branch I have to go down. Because I was, um, you know, spitballing on stream, trying to figure out what I was going to do next in the survival world. And somebody suggested, oh, you should check the advancements. Now, they might not have a lot of advancements in the game yet for 117. But when I went to go look at the advancement tree, it really wasn't all that deep. I, was, mm-hmm. I had already done about half of it without thinking. So I was like, well, yes, it would be good to travel down these roads in terms of the very, very basics. Um, but I'm wondering if there could be more to like open up the advancement tree automatically and say, hey, by the way, this this is a great way to start. You know, like just kind of point players in that direction. Yeah, I, I think it's 
it's worth using as a tool the advancement tree and i wonder if maybe if not by default then at least maybe for people who are just starting out there could be an advancement tree that feels a little bit more like a quest book from one of those sort of more advanced mod packs that breaks right. down the stages of how to play the game into something a little bit more granular you know i i do wonder if maybe somebody out there has made one of these already or could make one of these already that really takes you through the stages of here is how you progress in survival and gives more of a like an info dump on like okay you've acquired a moss block here is an advancement for it hover over it in the advancements tab it'll tell you what it does and mm -hmm. i've definitely seen mod packs where it at least checks off um you know when you've acquired each block in the advancements tab but then you know maybe if it provided a bit more information that way that could be a, a useful resource for new players i think the last thing i'll say about this is that community knowledge is something that minecraft has really heavily relied on over the years and is one of the really special things about the game so i think that's why maybe in previous years at least the developers have relied a little bit more on information being freely shared through youtube videos the minecraft wiki and basically anybody anywhere else anybody finds info about minecraft it tends to be pretty heavily supported or encouraged by the developers if not explicitly then at least you know they've said the information is out there um and they've done their best to clarify things through their own youtube videos now about where to find some of these new blocks i think it's the kind of thing that you pick it up by participating in the community and that strengthens yeah. the community as a force overall you know it, it really brings people into the idea that they aren't playing this game alone and that the knowledge is out there if they need it well and similar to the experience i was talking about in the render distance about my new barbecue uh, and learning about that online, I really enjoyed learning about Minecraft by watching Paul Soares Jr. and eventually moving on to some of the hermits. You know, uh, I really enjoy your series and I'm sure a lot of other people do. You know, it, it becomes that nostalgic, like it's an additional nostalgic peg in your Minecraft journey. You know, like you get to know the game, you get to play the game. You remember what it's like to, to wander around and not like a thousand blocks feels like such a long way when you first start playing the mm -hmm. game and then later on you're like that is nothing yeah when, when i when i started on xbox 360 uh, a thousand blocks was bigger than the actual world i could maybe right. i could get a thousand blocks maybe on the diagonal <laughs> but not not straight yeah. from north to south or or east to west yeah so i there's I, I agree with that i think there's a lot to be explored and a lot to be gained from participating in however way you feel comfortable in the Minecraft community. I think there's a lot lot to get out of it. Absolutely. Let's get into this last email, though, because that leads us uh, very neatly into our main discussion. This last one is from NatureGamer64, The Accessibility of Caves and Cliffs, Part 1. Hi, Pix and Joel. My friends and I have a realm that we play on called Friendcraft. Wow, what a creative name. I know. <laughs> and we are all excited for the Caves and Cliffs update. However... We are worried about the ease of obtaining some of the new features. For example, blocks like moss and glowberries have to be found in loot chests. Dripstone can only be grown in small quantities and obtaining it requires a wandering trader. Uh, since we aren't very technical on the server and we don't have a ton of playtime because of school, we might have to resort to duplication glitches to get good amounts of certain items. I feel that Mojang has created a problem here since they don't want to make all of the items easy to find since it would eliminate the purpose of later exploration and uh, the caves. But for some players, uh, there will be lots of trouble finding the items. What are your thoughts? Nature Gamer 64 left the realm. So... 
I don't know if they're on Bedrock or Java, but a few corrections as far as I know, Dripstone can actually be found naturally in the world. Uh, they actually covered that in the video this week, which is one of the things I, I'm glad that they clarified. Uh, it does take a long time to harvest and, and um, farm on your own. If you want to do that, I've set up a farm uh, and it takes a very long time and it's not a very fast process. But uh, things like uh, Dripstone, Pointed Dripstone, Deep Slate, Tough, Calcite, and Amethyst blocks are all spawning naturally in the world uh, in little blobs, basically. Uh, moss blocks can be found in shipwrecks. Uh, and there are they are your gateway, as Johnny mentioned earlier in the show, to most of the lush cave plants and blocks. Uh, glowberries, as you mentioned, are in abandoned mine shafts, uh, which is how you used to hunt for melon seeds now, which you can get from villager traits. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of wish in some way that they had added some of the caves and cliffs blocks to villager traits instead of the wandering trader because wandering trader just feels like a lot of rng to me yeah and i you know i'd end up checking them constantly in the snapshot playthrough i did eventually get drip relief from them uh but i've not found anything else from them uh that was related to caves and cliffs that's how i got my jungle saplings but i you know not not 117 content um noticeably missing uh is the powder snow block uh, that's not generating at all. You're only going to be able to get that by collecting snow in um, cauldrons. Get to high elevation, wait for it to snow into a cauldron, collect that with a bucket, right? That's how you get that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So um, I think there was one villager trade. I think it's stonemasons will now trade one of the blocks. And I'm trying to look up on the Minecraft wiki to see which one that is. But I think it's dripstone. Um, I think you're right. I yeah. think I'm remembering that too. Yeah. So, so there's there's a little bit of villager trading getting uh getting added in there. Most of the blocks are still are still out there and are a little bit dependent on, if not RNG, then at least like good luck finding them. But I think it must have been really tough for Mojang to find a balance between making those blocks available to players in part one, but leaving natural generation and stuff for part two not giving players too much access to it that by the time these new landscapes emerge and new cave biomes become part of the game players aren't already tired of seeing these blocks right like it it, mm. it, it makes a lot of sense um i think in the meantime it just comes down to players having the right information and obviously that's something we've tried to you know steer people in the right direction there i think mojang's latest video definitely helps with that and i'm certain that content creators are going to circulate that information further once the update actually arrives once you see everybody and their mum getting moss blocks then you'll know where to look for them yourself um i think in the meantime it's a little bit tricky to make a definitive guide to it because things could still be tweaked and changed a little bit before release and yeah i, I think it's going to be the the interesting thing is going to be prioritizing which ones you want to find because if you want to find moss then you know that friend goes out looking for all the shipwrecks they can manage to find or if somebody wants to go looking for dripstone then maybe a bit of light caving and then some sort of dripstone farm or you know being able to trade with masons if they can get hold of dripstone blocks that way okay yeah it, it does seem to be part of the the tier of trades where you normally get polished ameth uh not amethyst uh andesite granite and diorite from uh, that can now also be dripstone. So you can get a lot of the building block that way and then start growing the pointed dripstone on that as per Joel's farm, which, as you mentioned, is a little bit slow. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I, I think it it all comes down to what you've got time for. And I want to highlight one specific thing in this, which is that they said they aren't a very technical server and they don't have a ton of playtime, so they might have to resort to duplication glitches to get a good amount of certain items. And the main thing I want to query is what's wrong with that? Because if it is something that everybody on the server has agreed to and you recognize that it's a compromise on gameplay but you're doing it just so you can get hold of the things that you're going to find enjoyable, I would argue that's not necessarily a bad thing. It might be something that, you know, in the fullness of time, Mojang wants to redress the balance of players don't have easy access to these things. But I think that's what part two of Caves and Cliffs is really going to do. And so I think in the meantime, if you need to dupe some stuff or if you need to, you know, find other ways of getting some of these resources, if somebody wants to spawn in a couple of moss blocks in creative because none of the shipwrecks you found have one and there aren't any other shipwrecks for miles around, you have like a, a, a world with relatively few oceans nearby, then I would argue that's not a bad thing if you then get to use those blocks for their intended purpose. I think, you know, the honor system that a lot of people like to play by is really there for people who have the time to enact an honor system like that. And the rest of the time, if you and your friends are just kicking about after school and you want to play with some of these new features, then, like, yes, it can be fun going and finding those, but if it gets frustratingly difficult to find those things and you have a limited time that you want to spend playing with your friends, then don't don't balk at the idea of just you know, spawning that stuff in if you need to. It's all about where you find the fun in the game for me. Yeah, and without cannibalizing anything that I want to add later on about discovering these blocks, uh, look at data packs. Like if if the idea of glitches doesn't sit well with you or any of the other people in the realm, uh, just like you having limited time because of school, the server that I play on, the Citadel, we have limited time because we're all busy adults. You know, people have got families, people have got jobs. Uh, they can't play hours and hours and hours of Minecraft. And at a certain point, we just, it doesn't, it's not fun when you're grinding away and not really making a lot of progress. So we've added a number of data packs that are just purely recipes. Sometimes it's as simple as, for me, I added a bunch of different crafting recipes to the stone cutter and it treats wood the same way that the stone cutter treats stone. So it's really not that out, that far outside of the realm of, of what, you know, Minecraft does already. I've just added a couple more blocks to that and it just saves crafting time. It saves materials in a, in a couple of different recipes where we've tweaked it just ever so slightly so that you get more than two trapdoors when you put in a log, you know, or, or six planks. You get, I think it's six trapdoors or eight or something like that. It's just a little bit easier to get, you know, some materials in that way. Uh, so for, as far as things like moss or dripstone, I mean, data pack recipes are very simple to write there's a uh, i'll try to find i'll dig it up uh, in the in the show notes there's a link that you can go and kind of WYSIWYG your own recipe uh works for smelting as well you can download the data pack uh install it again assuming you're on java um and uh that will allow you to then have a recipe for moss you know, maybe it's, you know, leaves plus other blocks. I'm not sure what you could yeah, do, you know, vines. Yeah, nine vines you know. in a three by three because, yeah. you know, fu functionally speaking, vines and moss are both going to be able to create mossy cobblestone. So it even feels like an in-world recipe at that point. You know, you're, not, yeah, you're exactly. not, really, not really cheating anybody out of anything at that stage. And it's, yeah. it's still going to require you, if you want large amounts of it that way, to like set up a vine farm and make something fun out of it that way. You can, you can work with the stuff that you find interesting to counteract the stuff that is just going to take a lot of time and be dull yeah i mean blaze powder and um 
sweet berries you know is they called sweet berries what are they called yeah yeah sweet berries from the tiger yeah sweet berries you know so it's like glowstone and sweet berries equals glowberries i don't know like there's there's some in-game things that you could do to make sense that would allow you to have a little bit slightly easier access i say blaze powder or, or blaze rods just because it would involve a little bit more of a you know of a challenge to get to the nether and get that kind of stuff yeah there. absolutely but then then you end up with your genetically modified glow berries it's <laughs> it's and you've got to wait for the organic ones to arrive in the next update um speaking of the next update though uh the discussion i wanted to have this week was about the blocks of 1.17 and priorities because we can assume that the update is going to arrive relatively soon i know joel you've been working in your snapshot world but i was wondering like casting our minds forward a little bit what we can expect to do once our long-term worlds update or if we start a new world uh, for this update what are you gonna race out and find because personally I think it seems clear that they're focusing on blocks and mobs as the highlights of part one of Caves and Cliffs, and um, the mobs aren't honestly of much interest to me. I don't know about you, Joel, but I, I don't see them having a great deal of long-term benefit. They're, aesthetically, I think all of these mobs are very cool. We've got the glow squid, the axolotl, and the goat. Um, but the axolotl seems fun and cute, but when I've been playing with them, testing them, not super practical unless you want to make a fish farm or a squid farm using them maybe but for you know raiding guardian farms and uh, raiding ocean monuments rather you can take them with you a bunch of them might die in the process and then you can't take them with you on land so you put them in a bucket and then they're just you know taking up inventory space the way buckets of water do i find the glow squids drops are useful for visual tweaks but not a whole lot else and the goats ramming behavior is fun but I think it's going to take a long time to breed and isolate those screaming goats. And in the meantime, it looks like we're not getting goat horns until part two. So for me, blocks are really taking priority, which goes hand in hand with the video they published this week about all of the blocks they're adding. And it seems like they're adding more blocks in this update than they had in the nether update. And this is also true, by the way, if you remove the slab and stair variants in, in case you think copper and deep slate are kind of artificially increasing this by having a bunch of variants if you remove the slabs and stairs from the nether updates if you take out all of the extra warped wood materials and stuff it's still more blocks than the nether update had because of all of the different geology happening underground all of the ore variants and tinted glass the copper range amethyst azalea all of that stuff i think is is proving to be a a pretty nice block palette uh, for for builders if you want to dig into the stuff that this update provides and so i was wondering joel now you've had time to play in a persistent snapshot world what would you prioritize getting either for newer players who are starting a new world in 117 or on the citadel what's the first thing you're going to go out and find from newly generated terrain so for me moss and the moss related blocks are apparently the hardest to get but are what i'm gunning for uh-huh um i've been using as i'm sure you have uh green powdered concrete you know for mossy looking oh, yes. grass in <laughs> oh, certain yeah. places um the fact that moss does not change color in the desert means that you could use it you know in desert oasis builds um i put it underneath i wanted something different underneath my bamboo farm that i mentioned earlier and we've got them on moss blocks uh you can plant sugarcane and bamboo on moss blocks by the way uh, discovered that in, in the snapshot playthrough. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, so like that, that's the kind of stuff that kind of gets me in there probably because it is the more vibrant color 
of the blocks coming into the new update. Um, I say that, and I know that copper blocks, um, before they start to oxidize, are very, very bright. Um, the problem that I have with the focus on blocks in the part one is, and I and I say this with you know all respect to Mojang, the blocks in this update are the not the exciting part of caves and cliffs. The the most exciting part of caves and cliffs is the coming in the actual terrain gen changes, uh, and so I definitely feel their challenge of like okay we have to make this part one feel really exciting except for it's not like it's an even split it's not like we're getting 50 percent of the update in part one and 50 percent in part two we're basically getting um the again i don't want to make it sound terrible but we're getting the less exciting stuff in part one um and right away i'm looking at these blocks and yes technically there are more blocks but like eight of them are ore blocks Mm-hmm. that's not necessarily something you're going to be building with you know another three are the raw ore blocks which are cool but very specific uh and if you're like me the deep slate and cobble deep slate are quite similar so i don't see myself rushing out for for those blocks um i i'm happy to change my mind i might be able to work them into some gradients or something in in the medieval area that i'm working in but in playing with them in the snapshot world, I'm I'm finding them very similar. So while there are deep slate, cobble deep slate, and polished deep slate, they're so close that it's it doesn't feel like they've added three different blocks. It feels like they've added one. Yeah. Uh, in terms of a color, right? Like they, they don't get lighter or darker either way. They basically just have some very subtle texture changes to the point where I can't tell deep slate and cobble deep slate apart very easily. And uh, copper having a wider range. Uh, the image I posted in our chat seems to be pretty dull. Um, the the way that copper looks in game is much different. It's a much brighter block, so it's not quite like it's a it's a ho hum block. There's quite a lot to it. Um, I need to work more with copper. I I I know that I've kind of not turned my nose at it, but I've kind of dismissed it as a useful building block um, early on, and. Uh, I just, I know I'm just going to need to spend more time with it. I'm happy to, again, feel, I'm happy to change my tune. You know, people can change their minds. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm not as excited about the blocks. Uh, and so I have a hard time trying to plan, like, what am I going to get next? Like, well, I'm sure I'll get some copper at some point and I'll probably find a use for it. Um, I'm going to have to do some stuff on the Citadel. Uh, I, well, I guess we've got some trade going. Like I can get beeswax and stuff uh, or honeycomb from Alistair, who's got a couple of big bee farms. And so there's trade available on an established server that allows us to get, you know, wax copper and stuff fairly easily. Once we start finding copper in the world. Um, yeah, I, I think mostly just, I'm looking to be looking for moss blocks. I, I don't know that I'm going to be using amethyst geodes for anything. I don't have any plans for another mob spawner or mob thing. So like it's, it's tough when you're on an established server and the technical blocks are already behind you. Like you've already done the things. Um, but yeah, so for building, uh, it's, it's more the moss stuff. Where, what about you? Like, what are you most looking forward to? Like, what's the first thing you want to try to explore? Uh, I think moss and copper are probably 50, 50 split for me. Like I, I really want to get hold of moss just so I can, like I said, I'm planning on starting a, a kind of desert build and I want moss to 
form like an oasis or like a fertile area by a river and i want to be able to like you said work with blocks that stay green in other biomes um so azalea is going to be top of my priorities list there as well because the leaves look so good in those builds and i think the leaves also have a really nice texture that's different from some of the other stuff and then copper is really it like i i want to get the most out of copper that i can starting in 117 and then seeing what happens in 180 because i feel like in in 118 it's going to kind of get put by the wayside a little bit when we can do all of this cave diving in these deeper environments and start building up bases in there i feel like i'm going to go underground for a while and i think copper is going to maybe look better above ground in sort of a larger more like industrial looking installation and then you can maybe work copper into decor underground, but I think it's going to require a, a different block palette at that stage for me. So I'm planning on working with copper, working with a lot of the the gradient that copper provides, because honestly, I like putting those four main copper blocks side by side and almost building like large pipes out of them in that order, like in that gradient, because I, I think it, it, it provides a really nice color scheme for something. So I'm going to be getting hold of a lot of that. And honestly, I'm aiming to get Fortune as soon as possible is one of the other things because that will then allow me to get the most out of copper and other ores. And I think the mining experience, even though we're waiting for 1.18 for the caves to get bigger and mining to become more strategic and whatnot, I do still think the mining experience is going to change based on how Fortune will now affect iron and gold as well as copper. So we're we're looking at a bit of a... A, a, a rebalancing of the resource economy even as early as as caves and cliffs part one um so i think those are going to be the the key elements of this for me i like you i'm kind of happy finding amethyst when i can get it i like tinted glass a lot and i, I would like to use that to add more depth to builds with windows and so forth but Tinted glass can't be made into glass panes. It doesn't have different colors. It's going to be fairly circumstantial when I want to use that. So I don't know if I need to have tinted glass like right away to get some of this stuff. The amethyst blocks themselves. I don't know what I want to do with those yet. So they're kind of on the back burner for me. And I think you're right about the ore blocks and the raw ore blocks. I think those are more circumstantial again. It's the kind of thing where a cool use for those will suggest itself further down the line but it's definitely something you can wait for and not necessarily the things that lend themselves to the standard type of building that we think of as building just like houses and stuff like that i don't see myself using yeah. those blocks in house builds all that much whereas deep slate i think i can see myself using in the right context and like you said it's going to be there for gradients it's going to be there to add shadows to stone brick builds it's going to potentially add in a few elements of bridging between blackstone and regular stone that builders are going to want to play around with some more like i i was talking to fwip about this the other day and he's really excited about being able to make a, a castle using more of the the deep slate block palette so mm -hmm. I, th I think there's there's a room for a lot of this stuff to work its way into building styles and then you've got things like the lightning rods which i don't think i'm going to see many people using for its intended purpose because the shape of it can be used to make you know pipes and you can i mean we don't have candles in this update but you can use it to put torches on and you know they can use it for candlesticks later and there will be a lot of different things that uh each of these things can be used for Honestly, the azalea bushes as well 
are something that I think is going to be a bit of a sleeper hit. I I love that they have block geometry. I think we're going to see people building with stuff like that a little bit more when they want to have your flower beds and stuff like that and you don't really have the option of having something that feels more solid in a flower bed that isn't a leaf block. But I think having shrubs that have a little bit more geometry to them feel a little bit more solid are going to be really nice. And again, the fact that they don't change colour per biome and there's a flower variant uh, really is a big plus for me. So I can see myself doing like a hanging gardens type of build in the desert with a ton of the azalea stuff. And I can see that turning out really well, having drip leaf coming out of pools of water and stuff like that along the way. I, I think there's a, a lot of this stuff that actually I'm I'm kind of looking forward to in a way that I didn't expect to be if it wasn't tied to all of the caves and cliffs generation. But now I'm uh, looking at these things in isolation and thinking, what can I do with these in the meantime? There's a lot of fun builds are suggesting themselves. Yeah, and I think too that, you know, having the way that moss works where when you bone meal it and it takes over a bunch of stone and gives you a, a wide variety of these things, uh, I, I think it's a really nice way to kind of like give the player a lot of these things, you know, in the same way that the way that fortune now affects things like copper and iron. Uh, if players are looking to build with a lot of copper, they've made it a lot more accessible for players. Uh, and actually to, 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 to build on your comment about uh, mining being a, a new and different experience. Uh, I actually really enjoy it. Uh, I know I was kind of just saying that, you know, these these new ore blocks are not necessarily building blocks, but man, um, it might be just because it's a new fresh texture. Uh, it might be the fact that there is now copper and, and other things to look for when you're going through the caves, uh, like glow lichen and whatnot. But I really have enjoyed the caving experience on the Snapshot world. It's It doesn't feel like the same old, same old to me. There's always something new around the corner. Uh, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that they are now new and appealing looking textures. Mm -hmm. uh, you see coal or you see gold looks, gold looks really fun. Like it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very, Ooh, shiny, you know, kind of situation when you run across it. Same with redstone, actually. Uh, it, it's a much different experience than saying, Oh, it's the same pattern. It's just a different color and mm, it's not light blue. That's not the one that I want. Right. Like it just, it's not, you don't have that kind of a thought process, even though, They've only changed one thing by adding copper. Uh, and then it's only the textures. The functionality of most of this really hasn't done been that, you know, changed that much. And it just, it's become more exciting to, to do that kind of thing. Uh, I have on purpose not built an iron farm on the snapshot world to try and explore and, and see how, if I'm forcing myself to go caving, like, am I going to be able to enjoy this again? Like, is it still something that's very fun? And I think they've done a really good job with it so far. Um, it's, um, it's one of those things that I feel like you're going to have that initial pushback um, with the blocks being more difficult to work with. Um, I feel like a lot of players kind of want more of what we already have, which is not necessarily good for the game. You know, yeah. like people want different, and I'm, I'm in there. Like I, I want a light wood. I want a darker wood. I want a gray wood, you know, but like, do we really want more trees and wood? Is that, that's not terribly exciting. You know, things like copper that changes with time and deep slate that occurs different places in the world and has different functions in terms of the ores and stuff with the future in mind, like think looking ahead to 118. Like it, it's one of those things that it, it's going to be hard to, quantify without i think some serious time in the game with all of this kind of stuff and and i'm hoping to try to force myself into find ways to use the new stuff i mean 
I am also wondering how much of my mindset has been influenced by being in this medieval realm for so long on the Citadel. Uh, I want to give a shout out uh, to uh, Cubfan135 and talk about a player that uses every part of the buffalo mm-hmm. in Minecraft. Yeah. Like he just, and in a way it's it's very freeing to watch his videos and he always gives uh a, other creators credit like if he's picked up a a pattern of like terracotta and glazed terracotta floor stuff he'll say where he got it from usually in his videos and have a link and stuff like that so um but as a showcase for like all the different things that you can do with all the different blocks in minecraft you i've kind of pigeonholed myself into this medieval realm build so i'm very much thinking in the terms of like wood and stone and can i use it to make thematic stuff whereas the builds that i see lately from cub fan it's just it's spaghetti noodle up against the wall and find out what sticks like it is just it's so creative and i feel like um that's the kind of thing that i forget about in minecraft that you can do these wild ideas and use every kind of block that you wouldn't think possible to make something really believable and make something really cool looking and have it use like like I can't I can't think of something off the top of my head right now, but something that we would generally perceive as we'll say diorite ugly. People don't tend to like that block just because of the the pop culture around this in Minecraft. Um, but I've seen it used incredibly well, you know. Yeah. When it's used with uh, you know hundreds of other different kinds of blocks all together, you know. So there's all kinds of stuff like that that I know I overlook as a player, and so I'm gonna try and take like a a, a backseat, you know. To, with the new blocks and try to like give them some space and time to kind of breathe into the uses for me. Um, Cause I, I mean, I, we don't have any big plans with them, but I guess it's more of an organic. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like an, or an, or an organic process of how yeah. it's going to be incorporated into the Citadel. It's going to be a discovery process. I think for a lot of people, how they use mm. stuff like calcite and tough and uh, dripstone. Some of, some of the basic building blocks, that are coming along in this update are going to potentially be like sleeper hits. I feel like you'll you'll find that further down the road, they are blocks that you couldn't do without for the project that you're working on at the time. And I think once that time comes around, we'll be a lot happier that they are in the game. I think that's where we'll leave it for today, though, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can join our community, listen to the show live and as, re- as it's recorded in Discord every week. And it gets us closer to our next milestone goal of a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we can check in with everybody about what they've been doing in Minecraft that month. We're currently at 253 patrons, which is down one from last week, but we have had a couple of new people joining, so on balance things are evening out. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to our content engineers, General Pattern 82 Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them where they can find 
the show. That includes places like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com along with the show notes, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. That includes links to other podcasts I do, like The Citadel Cafe at thecitadelcafe.com. And you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I do the survival uh, snapshot playthrough uh, once a week, sometimes twice. And then, of course, weekends are very often on The Citadel in the Medieval Realm. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and we're barely out of the blocks. (laughs) 